Welcome to the Alpha Male Coach Podcast, the only podcast that teaches men the cognitive mastery and alpha mindset that it takes to become an influential and irresistible man of confidence. Here's your host, certified life coach and international man of mystery, Kevin Ayo. What's up, my brothers? Welcome back to the Alpha Male Coach Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Ayo, and welcome to 2024. <laughs> we made it. We rounded another year, and we're in a whole lot. I mean, it's wild because it's still now. Like, that's the thing that gets me. It's like, it's still now. It, it's never not now. But I know that these dates and times and seasons and years, it's a way to mark. You know, we're marking time. We're mark Really what we're marking is how much closer we're getting to death. <laughs> Either how much closer we're getting to death or how much further away we're getting from birth, right? And that's really the way most of us look at time. To be quite honest with you, when I talk to my students, that's really the way they look at it. It's like, I'm getting older. I'm getting older. I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. I, you know, they're comparing themselves to other people, what other people have done or what other people have or where other people are. And they're looking at that and looking at time this way. It's very fascinating. It's a very fascinating thing. And it's always now. It's always now. There's never, never any other time than now. If you're really, really still and really, really quiet, then you'll know this. You'll feel this. You'll hear this. You'll understand this. All we have is now. Now, brothers, today I'm just gonna I'm gonna hit some hit you with some really light stuff because I know that the last few episodes have been really heavy. I know that the last few episodes have probably been a little bit much. They might have taken your mind for a little bit of a loop de loop. They might have even triggered you quite a bit. In fact, I might have lost half of my audience with the last few, the last few episodes <laughs> on karma because you know I said some pretty wild things and I know I said some pretty wild things it's part of what I do is I say some things that you probably have never heard before because if you've heard them before then you've just it's just a part of what everybody else is saying it's just a part of the conditioning out there part of my role here part of my dharma here is to is to not let that stuff fly is to not let the the status quo continue to be the status quo is to agitate change and whatever that means. And if that means agitating every one of your, you know, triggering every one of your egos, then that's what I got to do. But today I'm going to do something a little bit different. Today I'm just going to tell you guys a couple of stories and tell you it's kind of a confession, to be honest with you, because one of them is about my brother and what something I was able to observe. And one of them is a confession of my own faithlessness. You know, what's so important is to know that what faith is. You know, faith is not a religious thing, as many people probably think. You know, faith. They think about faith. They think about religion. They think about, oh, I have to, I have to believe in things I, I don't see. You know, I have to have faith, faith, faith in this, faith that there's something out there guiding me, something out there watching me, something out there that's in some way anthropomorphic, right? So, which is to say it has human characteristics. And that's one of the big issues, I guess I would say, that we have with modern religion or religion in general is that they anthropomorphize deities. They anthropomorphize God. If it's a monotheistic religion, then it's still anthropomorphized. Then this monotheistic, this one God has got all these human attributes. It's all over the New Testament and it's, and it's rife in the church as well. It's all in the, in the New Testament as well. And it's not actually there, but people will interpret it that way. People interpret it that way because they don't understand the, the language or the culture of which these texts were written. And the anthropomorphizing of the polytheism too, of the multi-gods, whether it's Hinduism or, you know, the Greeks, you know, the Greek 
you know, how they have all their gods after the planets and the Romans, same type of thing. It's, they're all anthropomorphized. They all have these human characteristics. You know, when we have to, heard stories of Mount Olympus and these gods were up there and, you know, the god of war and the god of wisdom or the goddess, actually, the goddess of wisdom and the god of communication, you know, Apollo or Mercury, which is the same god, whether you're a Roman or a Greek. Zeus, you know, Zeus and Jupiter is the same god, whether you're a Roman or a Greek, you know, it's very fascinating. But they're all anthropomorphized, you know, these gods came down, they had, you know, they had sex with mortal women and created these demigods like Hercules and Achilles and, you know, there's stories, they're mythologies. But the issue here is that it's all mythology, you know, it's all telling us, it's all trying to teach us unity, it's all trying to teach us oneness through story, through mythology. Even the mystics, even the masters, even the Buddha, even the Christ, even, you know, the Krishna, even the, even the men that have, and women that have come here and, and have been examples of living without karma, you know, attachment. I don't say attachment. It's so difficult to explain these, these masters, these beings, because, because men they were, right? Men and women they were, but, but we have so much mythology around them that they've actually become these superhuman deities, you know, these super, super gods that now we worship in some way, which is in many ways a form of idolatry. But to have faith, to truly have faith is not about uh, believing in an anthropomorphic deity, whether it's monotheism or polytheism. To have, I have faith in God the Father, or I have faith in Yahweh, or I have faith in Zeus and Apollo will save me, and you know Athena will she'll bring me wisdom, and you know Mars will help me be victorious in battles and challenges and all of these things. It's not that's not the kind of faith I'm talking about. When I talk about faith, brothers. What I'm talking about is to know, and knowing may even not be the right word, because knowing implies in some way knowledge, right? It implies in some way the use of mind or intellect or ego. But to have this deep sense of, it's like a being. There's a knowing, there's a being, there's a vibration, there's a resonance that everything is one, that everything is love that everything is in unity and wholeness and completion and totality. Everything is protected. Everything is safe. Everything is okay. Everything is perfect. You know, all of these things that I've said to you, that's the faith. And I'm going to tell you a couple stories that demonstrate this, that demonstrate not just faith, not just the truth of unity, the truth of oneness, the truth of protection and, and safety, but also in some ways my own faithlessness. You know, I want to, I'm going to throw myself under the bus here, but not, but throw, but not before I throw my brother under the bus. <laughs> but my brother doesn't listen to this podcast anyway, so it's okay. I'm going to tell his story. I don't think he'd mind because he and I have talked about it before and we've laughed about it quite a bit. So I mean, 2023, last year, I left to Loom in August 4th. And I went back to Oregon to be with my family for a little bit. My brother, my sister, and my mom lives there too. And my niece, my sister-in-law, I call it my sister. I don't like the whole in-law thing. It's my brother's wife. And I went there and I had gotten there and almost immediately my brother, quote unquote, lost his job. He's like, I lost my job, got laid off. Now, fascinatingly enough, my brother has always been afraid of losing his job. He's one of those guys that no matter – the reason why he chooses to overperform in his work is because he's afraid that he'll become obsolete and that he'll lose his job. And of course, this fear comes from the lack of sustenance. It comes from a fear of lack of money. 
he is terrified of not having money. Money's his thing. It's kind of his, as the Buddha says, it, it would be his adherence. It's what he's here to, to learn, you know, the, the greed, the attachment. He's very attached to money. So he's always concerned about not having money, even though, you know, both of my parents have done quite well for themselves and our inheritance will be a substantial amount of, of wealth. And, and he also, because of his job and his working and what he does, he has amassed, a, uh, in my opinion, a substantial amount of wealth as well. So there's no basis for this fear, no basis whatsoever, but he has it nonetheless. And so because of this, when he's in his job, no matter what job it is, for as long as I've known him, and he's in his 40s now as well, quite close in age, as long as he's been employed, he's always been nervous. <laughs> he's always been worried about losing his job, so much so that while he's in his job, he will look for other jobs. You know, it's a, it's a wild thing. Like he'll always be putting out these little feelers. You know, if I lose this job, will I have another one? If I lose this job, will I have another one? If I lose this job, can I go here? Can I go there? Can I get a place in this? Like, and in some ways, as you guys may know, in some ways that actually manifests that outcome. It kind of, it's kind of like telling the universe, hey, like I don't want to be here. I'd rather be there. I'd rather be there. It's very confusing to the energy because again, the energy is one. The energy wants... He wants to bring you back to unity, bring you back to love. The universe wants what you want, okay? That's what you guys need to know. The universe wants what you want because what you want is love. What you want is to be at one. What you want to be in is, is, is in ecstasy. You want to be in pleasure. You want to be in bliss. You want to be in oneness. You want to be in heaven. You want to be in nirvana. And the universe wants that too. That's what this whole thing is about. This whole thing is about getting us back to nirvana, back to heaven, back to the Garden of Eden, back to unity, back to oneness with God, unity with God. And it's, it's pleasure, it's bliss. I mean, it's ecstasy, brothers. Like, so whatever you think you want is not in the world, right? It's the world is a part of the dream. It's a part of the illusion that keeps you distracted from knowing that you always have it, that it's always right here. That you, everything is exactly as it's meant to be. This is the place. Like, this is heaven. So it's very confusing to the universe <laughs> when my brother does these things. When he's he's got this great job that is providing him with the safety net that he thinks he needs, you know, this money, this resource, this whatever, this paper. And at the same time, he's out there looking for other jobs. It's very confusing. So in some ways, he's kind of manifesting that. He's kind of creating this sense of lack where the universe says, okay, well, if you're going to keep looking, then we're going to put you in a situation where you get what you ask for, you know, ask and you shall receive. And so I went back to Oregon and Within a couple of weeks, like for the first time, I mean, he'd had this job for about a decade, but he, uh, he got laid off. And now here's the thing with my brother. My brother is, he doesn't really know himself. And I, again, I love my brother very much. Like I love him. Like love, love, love. I love all of you. I love all of you. Every one of you. Every single one of you. I love you. Okay. And I love my brother. And I love to watch him, even in his neurosis, even in his insanity, you know. I love him not in spite of it, but including it, right? Because that's a part of who he is, and I love him. And he will tell people, right, because he's one of these churchgoers. He's, he's a churchgoer. He goes to church. So, you know, in the church they teach you, you know, fear not, you know, God has your back, and trust in Jesus, and all of these things. And So, you know, he'll tell people, everything's okay. I'm fine. Like, I'm not worried. Everything's good. God will provide. That's what he says. 
And then his behavior is, I mean, within like the first day, in fact, this is what he said to me. He said, I, I, forgot, I was laid off today. I think today I'm just going to take a day and I'm going to rest. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to let it sink in, let it soak in. I'm not going to start looking for jobs. He said, I'm not going to start looking for jobs for three days. He said, I'm going to wait three days. I'm just going to rest, relax, just kind of hang out. It's the first time I've been jobless in over a decade. I'm just going to enjoy it. The very next day, he wakes up in the morning, goes to the computer and sends out over 100 job applications through LinkedIn. Okay. Over a hundred job applications. Like this is the fear I'm talking about. This is the kind of faithlessness I'm talking about. This is the fear that is so deep within him about not having a job. I mean, he went to his wife. He went to my sister's like, okay, we, we got to get on. You got to get me on your health insurance. Cause she works, you know, she's got another job. It's like, I, we got to get you on my health insurance. We can't be without insurance. And it was like, he would say one thing, but you could sense, you could feel the energy. You could feel the energy of panic and fear. And it was so wild because he would send out hundreds. The next day he sent out another hundred, you know, and the next day he sent out another hundred, you know, you know how I am brothers, <laughs> you know, I kind of messed with him a little bit. I said, I thought you were going to rest. I thought you were going to take a couple days and just relax. He's like, oh, well, you know, I just, I thought I better do something. So I, you know, got on my computer. Yeah. I got on your computer. He spent the entire day sending out applications. In fact, the next week he even confessed to me that it was a bad idea because he started to get responses from some of these jobs that he didn't want for one reason or another, either because it required him to move, which required him to go to another state. It didn't pay as much as he was seeking. It didn't, you know, it wasn't a good enough salary. It didn't have good enough benefits or something like, but he started to get all these responses. Now he's overwhelmed with all these responses. Now he's got all these choices of things he doesn't want. You know, he applied for these jobs. Now he's got to tell these people, oh, forget it. <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> I don't really want to work for you. I just was in a state of panic and fear. And it went on like this for a while until finally he started to relax. And I think the relaxing was more out of exhaustion. It was more out of like, there's just nowhere else to apply to. Like there's just nowhere else that, you know, and he would even say to me, you know, when I'm in Oregon, we had conversations with my brother and he would even say, uh, you know, I'm applying for these jobs. There's one position open and there's thousands of applicants. You know, again, there's this faithlessness. There's this fear coming through, you know, thousands of applicants, one position, you know, what am I doing? I'm never going to get this job, blah, 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 blah. He comes through this. Well, weeks go by and one of the brothers at his church says, hey, you know, there's an opening at the company I work for and, you know, it might be good for you. I'll put in a good word and we'll see if HR reaches out to you. My brother's like, yeah, like absolutely, please do. You know, completely again, out of that state of, I just need a job. I just need a job. And so sure enough, this guy does that and re HR does reach out to my brother and he does the interview with HR. It's like three interviews, three processes. You know, you got to interview once and you got to interview twice and you got to interview three times with different people, different panels. You know, kind of like, you know, they say the jump through the hoops, right? You got to make sure everybody talks to you and they got a screen and everything. And of course, it's the same type of thing. Like this job position has been open. There are people applying. There's one position and there's, you know, hundreds of people that want this job. So it's no different than any of the other jobs that he applied for over Indeed and LinkedIn and these other internet companies that do this thing. But what's fascinating is that this particular job was really like, it really aligned with what my brother's skills were. And it also provided him with all of the things that he thinks he needs, right? The good benefits, the good salary, the working remotely, you know, working from home and all of the things that, you know, he'd been accustomed to in his previous job and that he thinks he, 
He thinks he needs to be happy, which is, again, another part of our, our human, our, the, the neurosis of our humanity, you know, these things that we think we need. But what's fascinating here, and I'll tell you, I'll, you know, I'll make this long story short. He got the job. Within a month, he was back to work. So he really had one month off. He had a month off where he really, you know, had this quote unquote vacation, but it wasn't really a vacation because of all the work that he was doing trying to get a job. But what's fascinating and what I told him was, as we look, as we were reflecting on this together, this was back in Oregon, this was um, months ago now, but as we were reflecting on this together, I, I mentioned to him, it kind of as a, in a you know, in a very <laughs> sort of passive way, not passive aggressive, because I wasn't really like trying to get at him, you know, I wasn't trying to condescend him in any way. I don't do that to people, you know, I don't believe in condescension, it doesn't, I mean, it's not a good thing, it's just, why would we do that? But in a very passive way, just so that he could kind of see this, kind of see this lesson and understand this message. I, I kind of mentioned to him, I was like, look, bro, you know, you really could have taken a vacation. You know, you from the moment you got laid off there, you didn't have to do anything. You know, this job came to you. Isn't that wild? Like you didn't do anything to get this job. Like you were just being yourself. Like you could have just continued to live your life exactly as you had. Because again, this came from a friend of his in the church and he loves to go to church. Like church is a big part of his life. So like your force of will, like you trying to force this, you, you in your state of panic, in your state of fear. And I didn't say these things, you know, because I said enough, like that was enough of a message for him to get it. But for you brothers to see this as clearly as possible, you know, you didn't have to be in that state of panic, that state of fear, that state of force, that state of I need to do it all. I need to fix this. I need to make this happen. You know, all of that was a waste of time. In many ways, it was just a waste of energy and time. You know, it was time taken away from your daughter, because my niece, you know, time taken away from your wife, my sister, you know, time where you were in your computer in a state of time taken away from you and your love. You know, you're panicking, you're in stress, you're putting your body under this unnecessary energy. And all of it was for nothing, for nothing. Because what happened was you just went to church, you know, mentioned to people who love you that you got laid off and the job was there. It was there for you the whole time. You know, yes, you had to do the interviews and so on. Like there was the interview process that he had to go through. But again, like, what is that? That's just him being him. Him showing up, showing up to a call. I mean, he did a lot of interviews. Didn't get any of the other jobs, but he got that one. And he didn't have to work to get that one. See, he didn't have to do anything to get it. And it was a big message. You know, it was a big message for him in faith. Now, will it happen again? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, like I say, will our faith be tested? Always. Our faith is always tested. But that's what I mean by faith. It's not faith that there is a white, again, not a white bearded guy in the sky who's looking down and, you know, making a list and checking it twice, going to find out if we're naughty or nice. Like, it's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about this anthropomorphic deity that has all of these human characteristics and we have to constantly be looking over our shoulder for. I'm talking about faith. I'm talking about this is happening for us. This is all love. Love is what there is because of where we are. The closer we get, the more we get to that union, the more we realize it, the more we know it. It's all there is. It's just for us to remember. It's just for us to get there. Okay, now a confession. Now the story about me. Probably what you've been waiting for, which is why I started with the story of my brother, because 
I want you to listen to this podcast to the end. <laughs> but here's my confession, brothers. And this is actually a confession slash miracle. I want you guys to know that miracles do happen. Miracles have not disappeared. It's not like they were just in the New Testament and then they haven't happened for the last 2,000 years, you know, or that they're just in the Gita or they're just in the sutras or they're just in the Upanishads. You know, it's miracles happen in our own time. I mean, men and women have written books, autobiographies and biographies. They've witnessed real miracles. They've witnessed people pulling food out of their pockets. Like there have been accounts of miracles happening where a guy will have empty pockets, you know, he'll, he'll turn his pockets inside out and then he'll reach in and pull out an apple or pull out a loaf of bread or pull out an orange, you know, a piece of fruit, you know? And I know in the New Testament, it's all like two fishes, five loaves, feeding of the multitudes. It's all very poetic and it's all very, you know, grandized. But, you know, here's a guy within the last hundred years who performed the exact same miracle. You're hungry, here's some food. I have some food for you. It's right here, out of nowhere, out of thin air out of nowhere, quote unquote, nowhere, right? Out of quote unquote, thin air. Yes, because it's all here. All we have to do is believe. When you have faith no greater than this size of this mustard seed, you'll say to the mountain, move from here to there and it will move. When you have faith no greater than the size of this mustard seed, you'll reach into your pocket and pull out some food. I mean, it's the same. It's a miracle and it happens. And I was able to witness one of these miracles. I was traveling in Italy with a friend. It was her birthday. This was a while ago. I can't even remember. It's just, I, I just I want to tell you guys the story because you know she's a friend of mine. It's her birthday. She wanted to. She always wanted to go to Rome. So I always wanted to go to Rome. It's been my dream. She asked me if I would come with her. I said sure. Why not? You know. I mean, sure. <laughs> you know, the international man of mystery, right? Like I can buy a plane ticket and go to go to Italy. Like why not? Especially for your birthday, right? You're a friend of mine. Like, I, in fact, if I'm grateful. I'm thank you for wanting to celebrate your birthday with me. Like, I'm very grateful. I love you. Thank you. So yes, we went out there, and she arrived early. I arrived a little bit later because you know, again, like we're not together. It's not a girlfriend of mine, just a friend. But we, well, she is a girl, but not a. There's no, you know, none of those intimate relationships. And we ended up south of Naples in this very small town, Positano. I don't know if you guys have heard of Positano. It's one of those coastal towns where, you know, there's not a lot of cars. Everything's built into the mountains. A lot of walking between in narrow, narrow streets. In fact, have you ever seen the movie Equalizer 3? Have you ever seen the movie Equalizer 3 with Denzel Washington? He was in Altamonte, I think, which is much further south, closer to Sicily, Altamonte. But Positano is very, very much like Altamonte. That first scene when he walks out of the person's house, the, the caretaker's home, and he's in those narrow staircases and he's walking around. It's almost exactly like that. Like Positano is, I mean, they're very similar towns. And I was with her and it was a Sunday, number one. Number two, it was off season. And these towns in the off season, there's nobody there. I mean, nobody. The shops close up. In the on season, when the tourists are there, there's thousands of people. The shops are open all day. In the off season, there's maybe a couple hundred people and everything's closed. Like nobody opens their shops because there's nobody buying anything. If one of their friends needs something, then they'll open their shop and they'll bring them in. But everybody knows everybody. It's like one of those places where everybody knows everybody. So they don't open their shops just to sit around and wait for somebody to walk in. They only open their shops when somebody calls them up and says, hey, I'd, I'd like to come by. And so everything was closed. And number two, it was a Sunday and this is Italy, you know, so it's a strong Catholic community and Sunday is the day of rest. And so number one, Sunday, number two, it's off season. 
everything shut down, nobody's around, right? Nobody's around, streets are empty. I mean, I'm saying it was me and her and nobody. I mean, there were some birds in the sky, that's it, right? Like nobody. And we're walking down the street and this, this um, gust of breeze picks up and I felt it too, like it was a strong breeze out of nowhere and it just blew the dust around. I got dust in my eyes, she got dust in her eyes. Now in my eyes, we were both in pain, but I was able to get the dust out. But she just couldn't do it. Her eyes hurt so, so bad. She was crying, wouldn't come out. I took a look. She's like, can you look? Can you look? I was like, she wouldn't move. I said, well, we got to keep walking. We got to find like a, a bathroom or a, a drinking fountain. Or we got to find some water. We got to find something to flush your eyes out. She's like, I can't move. I can't walk. Like I'm in so much pain. Like not only because she blinded, but she doesn't want to move. Her mind is completely absorbed in her eyes. Right? That's how bad they were in pain. And of course, of course, in my faithlessness, hear this, brothers, this is my confession to you. In my faithlessness, I felt like I had to fix the problem. I've got to do something. I've got to get her to some water. I've got to get this dirt out of her eyes. So she wouldn't move. I couldn't get her to go anywhere to a bathroom or anywhere, which, I mean, where were we going to find a bathroom? I mean, I was in a state of panic myself. You know, I just got done busting on my brother for being in a state of panic about his job. I'm in a state of panic because I can't help my friend. Same thing. Same thing, right? He thinks he's got to fix a problem of not having a job. I think I got to fix a problem of solving this, of solving my friend's pain, right? Same thing. Now I'm in panic mode. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? She's suffering. She's suffering. She's crying. She's hurting. There's nobody around. There's no water. There's no nothing. Nothing's open. I can't go find anybody. I can't go get a tissue or a Kleenex or, or a bottle of water even. Like there's nothing open. So I say, okay, look, let me see if I can look. Let me see if I can see in your eye. I just want to see if there's something I can see. So she finally, we finally pry the eyes open. I look, I look down, I say, look up. She looks up, I look down at the bottom. There's nothing there, like I don't see anything. I tell her to look down, she looks down. I look up in the top of her eye, like, there's nothing there, I don't see anything. She's crying, she's soft, she's almost screaming. It's like, we gotta get this out, we gotta get this out. I'm in so much pain and that's just triggering me even more. You know, cause you guys know how I am, right? Like suffering, pain, like I wish it were me. Like I wanna take it, give me your suffering, give me your pain. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't help it. There's nothing I could do. I was, and I was faithless, brothers. I was faithless. Now, here's the miracle. <laughs> and I'm going to try to get through this without being emotional. Because this is a true miracle. I mean, a true, true miracle. I am not exaggerating this. I'm not engaging in any type of hyperbole with this. This is exactly how it happened. This is exactly what went down. Okay. I'm standing there looking at her eye, looking in her eye, trying to say, where is this piece of dust? Where is this? Like, what can we do? Where can I go? How can I help you? How can I find this? And these people out of nowhere, okay, out of nowhere, they walk up. It's a man and a woman. And they walk up and they say, can we help? Now, first of all, we're in Italy. I want you guys to remember that. We're in Italy. We're in a tiny, tiny town in Italy where there's no tourists, this is off season. All of these people in this tiny, tiny town, they all speak Italian. They don't know that we're not Italian. They don't know that we don't speak Italian. They don't know that we're American, but they walk up and they say, can we help you? Okay, so that's number one. They, they, they spoke English and they knew that we spoke English. And I said to them, like kind of in a panic, because I didn't, this didn't register in my mind. It didn't register that, whoa, like, they're speaking English and 
How do they know we speak English? I just said, yes. Do you have any water? Do you have a bottle of water? Like she's, we need to find a shop that's open because she's got something in her eye. And the gentleman, the man, the brother said, I'm an eye doctor. How can I help? I'm sorry. Like I am getting emotional here because you guys have to understand. So like out of nowhere, out of nowhere, these people come out of here. They just appear and uh, they speak English. And these, he's an eye doctor. And I look at him and I look at her, his partner, his wife or his friend or whoever she was. And they're just, they're both just looking. <laughs> they have these eyes, you know, they're just looking, just love. There's no fear. There's no panic. There's not even really a sense of like helping. There's not even a sense of like, can we give, you know, it's just like, this is, they're just there. It's just love, just there. And I say, okay, yes, please. You're an eye doctor. Yes. 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 Thank you for helping. And he turns to his partner. He says something in Italian. I think he asked her for a napkin. I had a servietta. I speak, you know, cause I speak some Spanish and it sounds very similar. Servietta is napkin. Like, cause he was asking basically like, do you have something I can get into this, this woman's eye with my friend's eye? His friend did not. She didn't have anything. So he says, okay, okay. He turns, turns to my friend. He says, open your eye, open your eye. She opens her eyes like, okay. And he takes her eyelid and he flips it inside out. And he kind of like brushes it with his, with his finger, just kind of moves his finger across it a little bit. And then he flips her eyelid back in and all of a sudden she can see all of a sudden she's fine. Like there's no pain. Everything's good. He even says to her, it's like, you might feel a little uncomfortable for a little bit, right? Might be a little uncomfortable. But even that, like she wasn't, she was happy. She was grateful. She was out of pain. Every, it was like, it never happened. And of course I'm in a total state of gratitude, like gratitude, gratitude, dude. I'm trying to give these people like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to, you know, I give them money, you know, say, take something like, can we, can we pay you for your time, for your service, for your love, for your generosity? And they wouldn't let me touch them. It was so wild. It was such a funny experience because they wouldn't let me touch him. They kind of like, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. No, 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 no. You know, I was, I, I reached my pocket. I had the money. I had the euros. Like, please take this, take this. And they say, no, 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 no. They didn't say like, don't touch us. You know, they weren't like that, but they just would not accept anything. They said, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you so much. They say, it's okay, it's okay. And they turn and they start to walk away. And then me and my friends start to turn and walk away. Now here's another, here's something else that's gonna blow your guys' mind. And again, I am not exaggerating. This is not an exaggeration. It's not a fabrication. It's not hyperbole. We take about four or five steps, my friend and I, and I turn around to take one more look and they were gone. They came out of nowhere and they disappeared into nowhere. And that happened, brothers. That happened. I witnessed that. I remember that because that was a lesson for me. That was, a, that was a deep, deep lesson for me. That taught me, that showed me how faithless I am at times. There are times in my life I am so, so faithless. There are times in my life I think I need to solve the problems as if there are any problems. I need to fix the circumstance as if anything ever needs to be fixed. It's all good. Everything is happening perfectly. Like just, just believe, just know, just have that faith. And again, like if ye, 
had faith the size of this mustard seed, you would say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. You know, you faithless generation, you generation of little faith, ye of little faith. You know, I remember the words of the Christ so often with that, with that story, because it is. It's just this amazing. I can't say that these people were real. I really can't say they were real. I never touched them. I never shook their hand, gave them a hug, nothing. They seemed to disappear. They seemed to come out of nowhere and go into nowhere. I assumed they were real because I could see them with my eyes, because I could hear them with my ears. But that's it. That's, that's, the only, that's the only way that I had any idea that they were real. That I didn't touch them at all, you know? Smell them, taste them, you know, a bit a little awkward. <laughs> it's like, hey, can I get a whiff, right? No, I didn't, I mean, none of that. Just seeing, just hearing. It, it reminds me, that moment in time reminds me over and over. I always think about that. Anytime I get into the state that I am doing something or I need to do something, Anytime I get into this idea that there's something that needs to be done by the I, that the I needs to come up with something, needs to come up with a solution, needs to come up with an idea, needs to come up with a, a plan. I mean, you know what they say, you know, you want to hear God laugh, make a plan, you know, because that's what it is. Like there is no I, none of it. That's all part of the illusion, this I. You know, I is just a label that we have given to a transient combination, a transient, an impermanent combination of concepts and attachments to our body, to our speech, to our mind. It's not an absolute. It's not eternal. It's not indestructible truth. That's who you really are. Who you really are is absolute, eternal, and indestructible. That's the soul, the self, the spirit, the atma, whatever you want to call it. And this miracle, what I observed, what happened, helped me to further dissolve this idea of I and the self-oriented motivations that accompany it. That's what miracles do. That's all miracles do. That's the point of miracles. They're not to prove the existence of God. God exists. We don't need proof. Okay. If you feel like you need proof, then, <laughs> then come to me. You know, I'll give you proof. This proof is everywhere. But what miracles do is they help you dissolve the faithlessness. They help you dissolve this idea of I, that I need to do something, that I need to get something done, that I need to force. I need to force my, my desires, my attachments into being. My desire was to help my friend, was to remove the suffering from my friend. There was nothing that I could do, but it was done. It was done. Thank you for hearing my confession, brothers. I love you. I'll see you next week. And until then, elevate your alpha. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Alpha Male Coach Podcast. If you enjoy what you've heard and want even more, sign up for Unleash Your Alpha, your guide to shifting to the alpha mindset at thealphamalecoach.com slash unleash.